0: Medical Republic. Today we're talking to Gids Myrovitz-Katz, who's a epidemiologist and self-declared health nerd. Hi, Gid.
1: Hi, Felicity. It's great to be here.
0: It's quite terrifying that some kids aren't getting routine vaccines in Australia. That's Absolutely, really yes. scary. <laughs> you see that with the measles alerts that are coming out from New South Wales Health at the moment. Um, it's quite frightening seeing the march of measles down George Street in Sydney. <laughs> I think we have. 80 cases um in the first quarter of this year why is that happening (laughs) what is going on
1: um to be honest that is a very difficult question to answer
0: someone reported uh that a lot of measles cases are happening in the philippines and it's just spilling over into australia
1: well so because in australia we've um we've eliminated measles which means there's no endemic disease in the country
0: Isn't it also on the rise in Europe? I'm just Googling. So 41,000 children and adults have been infected with measles in the first six months of 2018 in Europe.
1: Um, And the same is happening in North America at the moment. So in the US particularly, they have a lot of states that are seeing many more cases. So America eliminated measles uh, in the mid-noughties. Um, and now they may have they may have uneliminated the disease i don't actually even know the term for uneliminating a disease
0: <laughs> Re- come back it's making a comeback yeah, it's
1: making a comeback
0: but it's interesting cuz in australia i was looking up the stats and about 95% of all young children are vaccinated
1: yes absolutely yeah. and those rates have increased
0: I mean, it's it's just seems like we're at a tipping point where we have fought off these diseases to the point where they've been eradicated and we've been able to almost, well, not for measles, but for some of these diseases, stop vaccinating. Um, and then there's just this reversal that's occurring where the diseases are on the rise. Yeah, which kind of brings me to the story that I was writing this week. When they started rolling out measles vaccines in Africa, there was this kind of interesting thing that happened. They thought the mortality, so deaths of children, would drop about 10 to 15% because that's how many children died from measles. But what actually happened is that when they vaccinated the children, um, mortality dropped 70%. Wow. So the measles vaccination was doing a lot more than what they had expected. And so this created this whole field of research um, looking into why that was. The research was initially started by an anthropologist um, called Peter Abey. And he came up with a theory that measles vaccination was having non-specific effects, which means that the measles vaccine was protecting children against diseases other than measles, which is quite a radical idea. Um, and so they've now pursued this research for decades and come, come up with lots of interesting findings um, that don't just relate to measles, they relate to all of the routine childhood vaccines.
1: What are some examples of these non-specific effects?
0: So in West Africa, they found that the BCG vaccine, which is the TB vaccine, um, dropped mortality by more than a third in neonates, so infants, um, which is interesting. So that couldn't be explained by children dying from TB. It was explained by children who um, got pneumonia and sepsis. So the TB vaccine seemed to be protecting these children against those other diseases as well. So that's now two vaccines that are doing something more than what we would have expected, which is kind of cool. So they also did this research in West Africa looking at the smallpox vaccine, and they found that people who'd been vaccinated against smallpox had about 40% lower all-cause mortality than those who'd never been vaccinated against smallpox, um, which is quite interesting.
1: But that seems harder to dissociate from the societal benefits that may have been associated with smallpox vaccination. So I feel like the next part of the story might be some people objecting to their findings because I can see some... (laughs) You know, yeah. if you do, because if you're doing this sort of epidemiological research, you're looking backwards in time at people, two groups of people and you're comparing them. Um, So there's always going to be a bit of uh, 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 factors that you can't account for in that may be influencing your eventual outcome
0: absolutely there's always biases um but they have replicated these findings in other countries um and they've also looked at a high income country so they've gone back so these researchers were all originally from denmark um so they've gone back to denmark and they've looked at adults who were vaccinated against smallpox and then adults who were not vaccinated against smallpox and again no smallpox in denmark at this time, at all, so no one, no one died from smallpox. Um, but those who did get vaccinated had a forty-five percent lower risk of dying of natural causes up to the age of forty-five than those compared to those who didn't get vaccinated. But see, curious, right? It's interesting.
1: <laughs> but that, but so, if we go back to what I was saying earlier, the, the society affects who gets vaccinated, right? And we do know that that's very well demonstrated. It's possible that. It, uh, the deaths in this case were caused by society rather than by some non specific effect of the vaccine. And it would be very challenging to disentangle that.
0: Sure, but it still seems like quite a large effect. That's true. Well, it's hard to think what else would be. I mean, again, it hasn't been randomized. Yeah, see, so, so. that's
1: why I think. Um, it, it sounds as if it's easier to draw that conclusion from some of the other vaccines, but then I guess that that does provide some support, If particularly if you're finding the same effect across different vaccinations, it provides some support for the idea that maybe the vaccines are causing some of this protection.
0: Yeah, sure. There are loads of implications of this research. Um, so one of the main ones is that these researchers think it might be a good idea to bring vaccines back Uh, for diseases that seem to have been eliminated or eradicated. So they're talking about bringing smallpox vaccine back for everyone in the world because it seems to have this beneficial effect um, that's not related to protection against smallpox. Here's Christine Starbell-Ben, a professor of global health at the University of Southern Denmark, talking about uh, the smallpox vaccine.
2: We uh, eradicated smallpox in 1979 and we had... um, uh, we stopped using smallpox vaccine in 1980 globally. And what we have been able to do when we started getting interested in this was going back to old Danish school registers and also going back in Guinea-Bissau and looking at people who had a, a smallpox scar and no smallpox scar and starting, showing similarly in, in the two countries that those who got a smallpox vaccine compared with those who didn't just a, around the time of the phase out, that those who got a smallpox vaccine actually survive much better than those who didn't get a smallpox vaccine. So nobody cared to investigate what st- happened when we stopped smallpox vaccine because everybody just assumed that it protected against smallpox and, and nothing else. It didn't seem necessary. It was just, you know, harvesting the fruits of having eradicated smallpox. But, but actually, it seems like it was a huge mistake to stop the smallpox vaccine, or maybe not. I mean, it was a strong vaccine. It also had serious side effects, but... But if we had done the studies at that time, it might have become, I mean, our, our proposition is that it might have become uh, clear that this vaccine had some very strong non-specific benefits. And we needed to look into how could we actually um, substitute that some other way or uh, if, if not just directly continuing with giving the vaccine. Uh, so we may have deprived ourselves from, from something really beneficial by stopping smallpox vaccine.
0: There's also a downside to this. This research um, found that some vaccines appeared to have really beneficial, non-specific effects on mortality. But then the other side of the coin is that some vaccines have a really negative effect on mortality. Right. Yeah, which is, you can imagine, quite controversial. So they did some research on the DTP vaccine in Guinea-Bissau, which is this small uh, West African country, and they found that children who were vaccinated with DTP had a five-fold higher mortality than children who weren't, and this was particularly pronounced in children who were female. It's the yeah. non-live DTP oh, sorry, vaccine. Okay. The researchers have now completed the research on a total of four live vaccines and six non-live vaccines, and the pattern is the same. When a child has the live vaccine, they've got added protection um, in a non-specific sense. So protection against non-targeted diseases but when they've given the non-live vaccine that actually decreases their protection against non-specific diseases Uh, so the vaccines they've looked at are the dtp vaccine inactivated polio hepatitis b and the h1n1 influenza vaccine and they all seem to have non-specific effects that were negative
1: that's fascinating.
0: I know, it's really interesting. (laughs) But then it just raises all these question marks, you know, why is that happening?
1: Well, I mean, from a public health perspective, that becomes a really kind of challenging cost benefit if you say, well, the risk of side effects is lower, but you don't get these non-specific benefits. And you may even have some non-specific negative effects. So then... What it's going to be very challenging to quantify that and to say and to do the cost benefit of the live versus the inactivated vaccine.
0: Yeah, and there's definitely a push towards m- moving away from live vaccines because of those side effects um, that sometimes occur. They're rare,
2: but they occur. Um, and here's
0: Christine Ben talking about that.
2: Almost all the new vaccines being developed are non-live vaccines. So, um, so that's a very unfortunate development seen from our perspective.
0: So, uh, where we are at the moment is that in two thousand and sixteen, the WHO picked up this research and looked at whether or not there was enough in it to start changing vaccination schedules. Um, and what what they did was two systematic reviews. One was to look at whether or not there is any evidence of non-specific effects for childhood vaccines in terms of mortality. And that review found that, yes, there is. There's quite good evidence showing that, um, vaccines have non-specific effects which was interesting that's that's kind of good for these researchers yeah
1: absolutely I mean, validation from the WHO is what we all want
0: I really. know and uh, the second systematic review looked at whether there was any good research looking at the underlying causes um, so some of the, uh, the the way the immune system creates this non-specific effect and that review found that there was no real consistency in the research and there was at the moment no mechanism that they could really like put their finger on to say why this was happening and that suggests according to one of the authors of that paper that uh perhaps what we're really looking at is a bias in observational research rather than a real effect
1: yeah i mean this is something that i i personally struggle with a lot and i you know I've, i've said before um, I sometimes think we're too hung up on mechanisms because the human body is very complex uh, and knowing why something works isn't always as important as knowing that it does. In my opinion, I guess this is coming from, you know, uh, frontline epidemiology, working in hospitals and things like that. Um, I'm not too hung up on the, on the clinical mechanisms, uh, also coming from someone who's not a clinician, so take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, I can certainly see the point there because uh, with this sort of research, it's incredibly challenging to untangle cause and effect. If you're looking back at a group of people who were vaccinated and comparing them to a group of people who are not, the fact that it's replicated across different disease states in different countries uh, in many different circumstances does point to an effect, makes it more likely. But if there's no if we can't figure out a way that it possibly could work, if there's not even a plausible, um, you know, biological reason, then it does seem more likely that what's really happening here is that um, our research just can't capture, uh, can't rigorously evaluate the impact of the vaccines here. Um, And what I mean by that is that there is no good way to separate societal impacts on death and other disease from the vaccines and the reasons why people get them
0: yeah no I, I agree it's confusing yeah it's, it's just a bit of a mess <laughs> it's hard to figure out what's going on and the problem is that when they rolled out these vaccines in the first place and they did all their safety trials and randomized controlled Um, trials they didn't look at all cause mortalities. They gave a child a vaccine and then looked at specifically whether or not they were protected against one disease that the vaccine was meant to be acting on and they didn't look at whether or not there was anything else happening. So if we could wind back the clock and make sure that we looked at, uh, prospectively looked at all of the other effects that could possibly have been, could have been related to the vaccine, Um, then we would know. But it's very hard now to fund those kinds of trials, so it's very difficult to do that research. That being said, there's something about Danish research where they have such good data sets that you have quite a lot more confidence in their observational research than you would in any other context. They're very organized. And some of these trials, like the one on smallpox was done and I have the uh, the numbers here <laughs> it was done in 48,000 school children born in Copenhagen from the 1960s to 70s that's a lot of kids so the you know it's a large data
1: yeah, look, I mean, I, I, you have to hand it to the Danish. They have one of the best linked health services in the world, if not the best.
0: And if someone was going to pick up this effect, they would. So it Probably. doesn't surprise me that they're, they're the ones who've caught
1: it. Actually, so this is, and this is a bugbear of mine, um, it, the increasing the number of people in your study doesn't reduce the impact of systemic biases all it does is reduce the impact of random effects so what i mean by that is if you've got uh, a systemic bias in your research uh, big data doesn't necessarily mean better data it just means more precise so you, you get a much better point estimate. Your confidence interval is really, really small.
0: But you can also control for some of those... Con- well, no, you can do some form of control for those confounding factors. Yes, if you've absolutely. got a lot of data sets that you can link up and you can say... You can maybe control it by age group or whatever.
1: Yeah, no, look, so also in Denmark, they do have a lot more control over... Because they get um, all sorts of data on things like income and uh, ethnicity and uh, smoking, drinking, all that sort of stuff. So it's much better. But it's very challenging because you control for what you know and you can't control for what you don't know. So you collect all this data, but then there are things you can't collect. So you just can't collect every societal influence because there are millions of them. So...
0: But what if you're replicating this effect in many different countries and contexts? Yeah,
1: but maybe many different countries all have similar systemic biases. Who knows?
0: Interesting. Yeah, so...
1: This is the problem with observational research, and that's the challenge.
0: Professor Peter Avey, um, who is the anthropologist who started this whole field, this is one of the things that gets him really riled off. (laughs) So we had this email exchange going back and forth where I would speak to one expert who'd criticise this observational approach, and then he'd have a comeback. Um, I don't have his audio quotes, because I didn't actually manage. He was in Guinea-Bissau, so it was like... The internet connection is really bad there and so we couldn't really <laughs> get a conversation happening um over skype <laughs> um so his comeback is uh that um it has to be observational research because you can't plan to study the things you've never thought about so it's, it's very hard to like do a randomized controlled trial if you haven't planned to, f- to find non-specific effects in the first place
1: Look, I don't think he's wrong. he's
0: also got another point, which is a little bit convoluted, so maybe just bear with me. Um, So he says, uh, yes, observational studies have bias. We all know that. But there is a very strange pattern of different vaccine effects here, which nobody has been able to explain with bias. So others have tried to explain away the DTP effect, which is where um, children are more likely to die of other diseases if they get the DTP vaccine, um, even though they're protected against diphtheria and tennis and pertussis. So he said people have been trying to explain away that negative effect of the DTP vaccine um, by saying that sick children who are brought in for consultations um, are the ones who get vaccinated, which causes a false association between the DTP vaccine and higher mortality. That kind of makes sense. But then he says that explanation cannot ex- coexist with the observation in relation to BCG and measles vaccination because they have the opposite effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, unless you presume that those vaccines have extremely beneficial, non specific effects. So, I see what he's saying. The logic there is like quite hard to get your head around, but basically, what he's saying is that if there was a bias driving one of these um, effects, you have to then accept that non-specific effects exist. For The I, other one. I, I can see. Opposite? Yeah, I can <laughs> see what
1: he's saying. Yeah, because usually, so as I said in Australia, uh, socio-economic disadvantage affects who gets vaccinated. So if that was true, you would not expect the effect to run in the opposite direction for some vaccines.
0: Exactly. So here's a point, and his logic is hard to fault. I think.
1: I think so. This is this is the challenge because I don't disagree that it's a very strong argument. I would also say that it's very challenging to disentangle all societal effects. And, and maybe there's just something that we don't know that's causing kids who get vaccinated with the DTAP to be more at risk than kids who who aren't. You know, like, this is the challenge with observational research. And I'm not saying he's wrong. Definitely not. I think it's fascinating research, and it does sound like he's got a very convincing argument. And um, it sounds as if there's at least some... Effect, non-specific effects from um, from vaccines, but then I guess it comes back to what that is and quantifying it. That's the challenge.
0: Yeah, experts I spoke to said that they accept that there are probably non-specific effects um, of vaccines, but again, it comes back to the magnitude. They're not sure. Um, I mean, but there is it another like twist. Sounds like I agree with the
1: experts, so I'm really happy. Do here. you want
0: to hear the other <laughs> twist in this in the story? Yeah, please. Okay, sorry. <laughs> So there's some counter research uh, which Ooh. came out in 2015 in Science, which is a well-respected publication. Um, That's where we all want to be. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, there are two reasons why children who are vaccinated with measles uh, seem to have non-specific benefits from being vaccinated. Okay. So one is that the vaccine protects them against lots of other diseases, so they don't die from pneumonia or um, other bacterial infections. Um, the other reason is that children who get measles infection do a lot worse. So they're right. much likely, more likely to die from other diseases. And so the way they think that this mechanism works is that you get the measles infection, the measles uh, virus actually attacks your B and T lymphocytes, which attacks your ability to remember diseases that you've previously encountered, and then you're more likely to to die from those diseases. And I think this is is like a... The hypothesis is called the immune amnesia hypothesis. So they reckon that children who get infected by measles in the next sort of couple of years, they're more likely to die from something else other than measles. Um, Does that make sense why those would look the same in observational research?
1: Absolutely, they would.
0: So it I mean, looked like people who had the measles vaccination who didn't get measles did a whole lot better, but really it's just that the measles people who did get measles did a whole lot worse.
1: Precisely, yeah.
0: So, it yeah, basically it's, those it's two just... data sets look the same when you when you, you it's hard to distinguish which one's happening. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's a type of confounding.
0: Yeah, but there are some ways that you could poke around and figure out what was going on. So some research was done by a very clever. PhD candidate called Michael Minner, who's now an assistant professor at the Harvard School of Public Health. Um, He's now a pathologist. But he came up with a way of figuring out what was going on. Um, So he looked at data in the US, the UK and Denmark over decades and ran a mathematical model which looked at the whole population and when measles infection rates were high, children in general were more likely to die of other diseases within the 28th months following. Yeah, But he didn't look at the in- individual level. Right. And this is where the, the research team from Denmark has kind of had their counter arguments to this which is that they say in their research they've looked at the individual level and they've shown that children who did get measles infection actually did better
1: (laughs) children who got the measles infection did better yes
0: so they were protected against diseases and they said that they've got research in from five countries four of these uh Studies have been published, Um, so presumably here we're still we're
1: we're still excluding the effect of measles. I guess
0: yes, yeah. (laughs)
1: Because generally speaking, people who who get measles infections do relatively poorly.
0: From measles. Yes. From measles. Yes, but we've got two two research groups that are arguing completely <laughs> <laughs> opposite points.
1: narratives. Yeah, yeah. And mm.
0: and I spoke to Assistant Professor Minna um, this week, and he was really helpful in trying to clarify what was going on. Right. And here's what he had to say:
3: wherever measles vaccine is introduced into communities for the first time, which doesn't happen a lot anymore, but as it was being introduced for the first time. Since the 60s onward, uh, into the 2000s, uh, there would be large reductions of mortality of childhood mortality noted that really didn't make a lot of sense in in terms of um, what we normally believe would be the case fatality rate or the rate of mortality due to measles alone. So that led to the question. Um, there's two hypotheses there. Either when you give a measles vaccine or introduce a measles vaccine into the population, that vaccine is having some direct benefit to prevent mortality or improve survival um, due to other infectious diseases. Or it could be unmasking sort of an underlying effect of measles infections where measles infections were having a, a, a worse outcome or a longer term effect on mortality than we had previously understood. So our research really gets at the latter, and it says we believe that measles infections have a longer term uh, immunological uh, consequences to a child than had previously been understood. Then there's the, the former hypothesis is really getting at these more direct sort of heterologous benefits of vaccines where a child who gets a measles containing vaccine seems to be at lower risk due to other infectious diseases. And so because in the vaccine, in the pre-vaccine era, or right as these vaccines were starting to be rolled out, disentangling the two would have been very, very difficult. Because at the same time as you're rolling out a vaccine, you're reducing the incidence of measles infections because of the vaccine. And simultaneously, you're obviously also giving vaccines so the two might be that both, both hypotheses would potentially be acting at the same time. And that's, I think, exactly what's happening. I actually, I, I really believe that both of these hypotheses is really good data to suggest um, that there are immunological consequences of measles infections that could delete somebody's immune repertoire and leave them susceptible for a few years. And uh, a number of groups, uh, particularly in the, in the recent few years, and it's actually something our group is now working on, uh, has been looking at are there actually immunologic benefits of just getting the vaccine? Is the vaccine somehow sort of supercharging your immune response to uh, be better at uh, preventing you from getting all other infectious diseases, having nothing to do with the, the infection that it's actually trained to prevent, which is measles? So I see these two hypotheses as really um, as really being um, uh, working together, and I think combined they actually really do begin to explain these dramatic reductions in mortality that we saw following the introduction of measles vaccines, where in some communities mortality from all infectious diseases dropped on the order of fifty percent or more, um, and so that drop cannot just be explained by the acute effects of measles alone, but I think it's really explained by both the beneficial heterologous effects of vaccines to sort of boost your immune system and the uh, reduction of, of measles in the environment, which means that children's immune systems are essentially not being exposed to this immune amnesia effect and you're kind of preserving immune memory that was developed in early, in early childhood.
0: Basically, he says, like, you, these two theories can coexist. You can have the nonspecific effects of vaccines and also have immune amnesia.
1: Yes. At yeah. the same
0: time. <laughs> and he says that they're on the same team. Yeah, well,
1: see, because <laughs> that's the thing that I was thinking about while you were telling me the story is that, well, I guess maybe that explains part of the effect that, these, that the Danish research team found for measles vaccination. But they found this effect in multiple different vaccines you said six live and four deactivated or was it the other way around
0: oh i think it was more than that but yeah quite a few vaccines yeah
1: yeah so sure maybe that's the causal factor for part of the non-specific benefit found in measles vaccination but you know you've still got the polio vaccine the smallpox vaccine all the things we were talking about earlier I mean, maybe maybe measles is the odd one out because the infection causes so much damage to the immune system, but it's true of all the other vaccines anyway.
0: Or maybe it depends on how severe the de- disease was. So if it was yeah. really severe, then they are more likely to... Get uh, die from another infection, but if it was a mild infection, they actually get a similar effect to being vaccinated from, against measles. Maybe that's what's going
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's essentially <laughs> vaccination is giving someone a very very mild case of the disease, in, in, particularly in, like, when it's, it's a
0: live vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, get your head around <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> I mean, basically, that's almost that's almost exactly what the oral polio vaccine is. So it causes a mild infection that your body is then protected against polio for, for the future.
2: Yeah, and that's what Professor Ben said. I think what we have seen for measles vaccine, let me stick to that because that's where we have the data, getting a mild measles infection actually seems to train your immune system beneficially so you're better able to cope with all kinds of infections subsequently and you have better survival. Um, uh, I think, in my opinion, what we do with the measles vaccine is actually the same uh, as we as getting a mild measles uh, infection. So you can you get the same beneficial effects of getting the mild measles infection. And the important point here is you avoid the risk of getting a serious measles infection. Because if, you, if you're if you a parent of a child and you think it's beneficial to get the measles infection, you can't control that exposure. You, you need to expose your child to measles and you don't know if it will develop a mild or severe uh, measles infection. And, and if it's unvaccinated, you know, I mean, the, 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 you can't control the wild thing, <laughs> but you can definitely, uh, in my opinion, give it. In a very controlled fashion in the vaccine. So, 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 yeah. To answer your question shortly, I think that it's comparable what happens in a mild measles va- uh, infection and a, and with a measles vaccination. But I would any time prov- pro- propose or recommend people to get the measles vaccine rather than the measles infection because you can you can it's a standardized exposure and 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 without the risk, yeah.
0: Basically what she said is that if, you, uh, if children get mild measles infection, that's similar to vaccinating them against measles. The only problem being that if you leave your child vulnerable to measles, they might die. Whereas if you give them a the vaccine, they're not going to die. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's worth remembering measles. that
1: measles has a, a 25% risk of hospitalization um, for children. What's the death rate? And it, the death rate is about uh, it's two in a thousand, so point two percent death rate, which is very high for an yeah. infectious disease. So in and age.
0: she's very pro vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> so. I,
1: I would imagine so. I think yeah. most most people who've actually researched vaccines in any capacity are very pro-vaccination as are most medical professionals
0: i mean it's pretty much the best medical idea we've ever come up with yeah and it's so simple to explain <laughs> <laughs> just,
1: absolutely
0: this this shot will make you superhuman yeah why are people not lining up i don't understand it. <laughs> all right cool well thank you for um coming and chatting about vaccines and nerding out with me that was great
1: that's a pleasure i can talk forever about vaccines
0: That's it for the Medical Republic. Thanks for listening.